welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 94. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been digesting perhaps the biggest story in gaming history with Xbox acquiring Activision and Blizzard on the 18th of January. I've also been playing plenty of RPGs recently with Drinkbox's Nobody Save the World and also Tales of Arise. I've also been back to the very start of one of my favourite franchises and beat the original Legend of Zelda. So I've also been playing Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. So there's all that plus plenty more on this week's episode. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now I'm good this week and it all started off so quietly. But we've been taking in one of the most incredible stories in gaming from the past decade. Now, certainly the biggest news since Xbox bought ZeniMax and Bethesda back in 2020, and that is the news that Xbox are going to be acquiring Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, which is an absolutely staggering amount of money. Now, the Bethesda acquisition was in the region of $7 billion, and then last week we had Zynga go to take two for nearly $13 billion, but this one is close to $70 billion, that's $70 billion dollars. This deal isn't set to go through until June 2023, so there's plenty of time for all of us to digest this information. Yeah, this has been one of the most exciting weeks in a long time to cover games, and I went through a range of emotions on hearing this news. You know, the double take, the shock and surprise, then thinking about all the games come to Xbox Game Pass and thinking about the potential for exclusives. Then you've got these studios under Activision, you know, what's going to happen to them and what are they going to be working on? The future of Bobby Kotick, you know, what this means for Nintendo and Sony and a whole load more. So, so I'm going to be diving into the topic this week, and that's going to come up first in the show, but also, but also I've been playing some great games over the past few weeks, so let's check out their list and then get into that blockbuster news of the week. Well, first up, what I've been playing over the last couple of weeks, so since the last podcast, I've been on somewhat of an RPG kick. So initially, this was down to Tales of Arise, as I've been playing through some of my backlog games in 2021, and Tales of Arise is an absolutely fantastic JRPG. Well then this week Nobody Saves the World came out and that is a new action RPG from Drinkbox, the creators of Guacamelee. And this one paired with another game I've been playing and I went back to the very start of our beloved franchise with The Legend of Zelda. So I wasn't expecting The Legend of Zelda to hold up in 2022 but it absolutely does, introducing those familiar Zelda concepts while at the same time being a great action adventure RPG in its own right. And the graphics and the audio may not be anything to write home about these days although that Zelda music is there in all its glory. So I thoroughly recommend playing The Legend of Zelda. I'm going to go through my thoughts on The Legend of Zelda in 2022 in my classic replay later on in the show. But first of all, I wanted to discuss the Activision Blizzard news, kicking off with one of the best summaries around, and then I'm going to go into 10 thoughts on where we could go after this news. First of all today, I want to go over to gamesindustry.biz, and this one is from Brendan Sinclair, and this is called Microsoft Acquires Activision Blizzard. So this is a fantastic piece of context and a really, really good summary of where we started earlier on in the week. So Microsoft has reached a deal to acquire Activision Blizzard, the company confirmed, and Sarah E. Needleman with the Wall Street Journal broke the news, saying the outlet's source told it that Xbox maker was nearing an agreement to buy the Call of Duty company. Six minutes later, Bloomberg's Dina Bass put a dollar figure on it, saying sources put the value at the deal at nearly $70 billion. Now, that is a significant premium over Activision Blizzard's market cap of nearly $51 billion, 
But like many game outfits, the Call of Duty and World of Warcraft publishers' share price has been trending downward over the last year. Activision Blizzard has also been the subject of immense public criticism since a July lawsuit by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing alleged pervasive gender discrimination at the publisher. Microsoft soon confirmed the deal had been reached, but put a price of $68.7 billion on the deal, with a $95 per share agreement representing a 69 premium over Activision Blizzard's Monday closing price of $65.39. This acquisition will accelerate the growth in Microsoft's gaming business model across mobile, PC, console and cloud, and will provide the building blocks for the metaverse, the company said. Well, Microsoft added that the addition of Activision Blizzard would make it the world's third largest gaming company by revenue, behind only Tencent and Sony. So gaming is the most dynamic and exciting category in entertainment across all platforms today, and will play a key role in development of the metaverse platform, said Microsoft chairman and CEO Satya Nadella. We're investing deeply in world-class content, community and the cloud to usher in a new era of gaming that puts players and creators first and makes gaming safe inclusive and accessible to all. Well, in November, Xbox head Phil Spencer sent an email to employees saying Microsoft leadership was disturbed and deeply troubled by what happened to Activision Blizzard, adding that he was evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments. Well, it's interesting that one of those adjustments is actually by the company. So Microsoft has said Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick will continue to serve in that position, but will report to Spencer after the deal closes. So with Activision Blizzard's nearly 400 million monthly active players in 190 countries and $3 billion franchises, this acquisition will make Game Pass one of the most compelling and diverse lineups of gaming content in the industry, Microsoft said announcing the deal. Well, Microsoft did not say whether Activision Blizzard's franchises would be made exclusive to Xbox platforms, Upon close, we'll offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within the Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from Activision Blizzard's incredible catalogue, Spencer said in a blog post. We also announced today that Game Pass now has more than 25 million subscribers. As always, we are looking forward to continuing to add more value and more great games to Game Pass. So when Microsoft struck a deal to acquire Bethesda in 2020, Spencer insisted it wasn't done to keep the Skyrim makers' games away from other companies. However, within a week of the deal's final closing, Spencer was talking about it differently, saying, This is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. Well, Spencer's post also alluded to the scandals surrounding Activision Blizzard and Kotick himself, saying, As a company, Microsoft is committed to our journey for inclusion in every aspect of gaming, among both employees and players. We deeply value individual studio cultures, and we also believe that creative success and autonomy go hand-in-hand hand with treating every person with dignity and respect. We hold all teams and all leaders to this commitment, and we're looking forward to extending our culture of proactive inclusion to the great teams across Activision Blizzard. Well, that was probably one of the best roundups we've had regarding the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard, so really, really good. But with that context in mind, I wanted to have a look at 10 predictions at what might come next. So Microsoft announced on Tuesday their plans to acquire Activision Blizzard in perhaps the biggest blockbuster announcement in gaming in the last 10 years. You know, we thought the acquisition of Bethesda back in 2020 was huge news, but this blows that out of the water and then some. But what does this mean for the games and the studios under Activision Blizzard? You know, I've put together some ideas, but let me know what you think, plus your own predictions. So first of all, Call of Duty exclusive to Game Pass 
So exclusivity instantly came up when the news broke, and rightly so. So all of these deals over the past couple of years, and this one with Activision Blizzard, and the previous deal with Bethesda, is all about Xbox Game Pass and driving more value into that service. So it's going to be really hard to say no to that offering for consumers. Now I thought we were there already, but this deal pushes it over the edge. So it's going to be interesting to see which brands and games go exclusive, but for Microsoft to shell out nearly $70 billion, I would imagine a high percentage of Activision's properties are going to be exclusive to Xbox Game Pass in a short period of time. Now, if the deal goes through in 2023, then maybe 2024 will start to see Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox and PC, which is absolutely huge. So Microsoft was very coy about whether Activision Blizzard's games would be made exclusives, and they said, So upon close, we'll offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from their catalogue. Well, next up, we've got an interesting one. So Call of Duty could release less frequently. So staying with Call of Duty for a moment, I think there's going to be plenty of positives to come out of this, especially for fans, but also for the developers too. So Activision has studios working on the Call of Duty conveyor belt. So they've got Raven, Treyarch and Infinity Ward, three studios constantly working on Call of Duty. And that could mean we actually get fewer Call of Duty releases and the teams get the time and the space to develop meaningful Call of Duty entries. So Activision has been great at making money from the Call of Duty brand. However, they do seem to have lost their innovative side, given the time pressures on them to deliver the next Call of Duty each and every year. Well, next up, we've got World of Warcraft subscription included in Xbox Game Pass. So Blizzard and its library of games is a very, very exciting proposition for Xbox. Now, Microsoft has already got the PC Game Pass, and they could easily add in World of Warcraft subscription as a benefit for Ultimate Game Pass subscribers, which would be another great added value for Xbox Game Pass on PC. Another exciting prospect with the next one, so Xbox Game Studios make a Smash Brothers-like game. So Xbox now has enough IP to make a Smash Brothers clone, so they've got Master Chief, Doom Guy, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Raz from Psychonauts, Steve from Minecraft, and also many, many more. So a Smash clone or a kart racing clone could be on the cards with such an amazing lineup, and it would definitely be much easier to bring all that IP under one game, because Microsoft has simply gobbled up all the companies. And if we're not going to see a Smash Brothers clone, we could see a really unique first-person shooter, considering all the first-person shooters we've got under one banner. So we've got Halo, we've got Doom, we've got Call of Duty. There's just so many first-person shooters. And can you imagine them all being brought under one banner and creating a really, really unique first-person shooter? Well, next up, we've got the topic of Bobby Kotick. So it's highly likely that Bobby Kotick is going to leave after the deal has been processed, though it looks like he's due a golden parachute of about $200 million plus. In November, Xbox head Phil Spencer sent an email to employees saying that the Microsoft leadership was disturbed and deeply troubled by what happened at Activision Blizzard, adding that he was evaluating all aspects of the relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments. As I mentioned before, we didn't really realise that one of those adjustments was going to be to buy the company itself. And Microsoft said that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick is going to continue to serve in that position, but is going to report to Spencer after the deal closes. Well, next up, PlayStation steps up their acquisitions, so Sony is likely to have to up their game or risk being swallowed up themselves. So this move makes Microsoft the third biggest gaming company in the world, behind only Tencent and Sony, and Microsoft needed a big play to catch up to Sony, and this could be it, or at least the start of it. I actually don't think that Microsoft is done yet. So Tom Phillips from Eurogamer reported on the immediate impact of Sony following the news. So Tom said shares in Sony have dropped by 13%, 
As the Tokyo stock market reacted to yesterday's industry-shaking announcement that Microsoft will buy Activision Blizzard. So the fall in stock price is the largest since October 2008, the same month that Sony was forced to recall 100,000 laptop batteries due to fire hazards. And the Financial Times and Bloomberg spotted Sony's sudden stock plunge overnight and noted it had wiped around $20 billion from Sony's market value. Well, next up, we got mobile versions of big franchises so as part of the acquisition, King comes along and brings a wealth of mobile expertise with them. So Microsoft doesn't really have any skin in the game when it comes to mobile gaming, or well not at least on par with their competitors, especially considering Tencent. So we saw Zynga get purchased by Take-Two for $12.7 billion earlier in the week, and that shows Take-Two's intent in the mobile space. So I'd expect mobile versions of Xbox franchises in the not-too-distant future. Well, next up, we've got the potential for fantasy gaming lineups and crossovers. So we could see some incredible crossovers in the coming years. So Doomguy and the Master Chief teaming up, or some kind of fantasy shooter where you've got the cast of Overwatch, Call of Duty and Halo all in the same game. Next up, we've got a wild one, so Game Pass on Nintendo Switch. So we could see Game Pass finally coming to the Switch, with Nintendo and Microsoft seeming to get pretty cosy with each other before the pandemic, but that relationship in the public space seems to have cooled off. So given Nintendo's hardware is going to be so far behind the Xbox Series X, I could see a world where Xbox Game Pass makes it to Nintendo Switch. So that all could be achieved through cloud gaming, and you could of course tap into the existing market of Nintendo Switch users. We're talking about Nintendo, I want to pose the question, will Nintendo be next? So the big question for me is, will Microsoft try to buy Nintendo? And it seems like Microsoft is hungry for studios, and anything to inject more value into Xbox Game Pass. You know, I understand in the early 2000s that Microsoft approached Nintendo and they politely declined. However, with the numbers like 70 billion floating around, you know, would Nintendo consider it? It seems like we're already approaching a mini-monopoly from Microsoft, and would the purchase of Nintendo be a step too far? Well, that is it for my 10 predictions of what I think might happen next, but let me know in the comments or write in at patreon at patreon.com forward slash this week in video games i would love to hear what you think and i'll read out your comments in a future episode of the podcast let me know what you think of microsoft acquiring activision blizzard and also let me know what you think of the predictions and i'd also love to hear some predictions of your own so absolutely massive news this week and on the same day that this news came out i did feel a little bit sorry for Drinkbox, as nobody saves the world came out and this one is a fantastic new action rpg it was just a little bit unfortunate timing with Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard and announcing it on that day. But this one is an absolutely fantastic game, so let's go over to my review of Nobody Saves the World. Well, Nobody Saves the World is a new action RPG. It feels really similar to old-school top-down Legend of Zelda games from days gone by, and the game has layers of satisfying progression. You know, it's early in 2022, but this is a game to get excited about, with the combination of satisfying combat, a whole host of characters to embody, to take down the corruption, and of course, save the world. Well, this is a new game from Drinkbox Studios, creators of the Guacamelee series and other fantastic games. So, so if you play games from Drinkbox Studios, you'll be familiar with their animation and their humour, and Nobody Saves the World has all that and much, much more. So whereas Guacamelee was their take on the Metroidvania genre, Nobody Saves the World is much more of the top-down action RPG, and once again they've demonstrated their understanding of tight controls and very, very satisfying game mechanics. So this game dishes out the dopamine hits at a serious pace, 
And just when you think it's time to take a break, you're pulled right back in. We start out the game as nobody, and this is a Stickman-style character, thin, removed of any remarkable features, looking like a very thin ghost. So the previous hero, a mighty mage, has gone missing, and then you take up the mantle to save the lands. So nobody has a shape-shifting ability, thanks to a nifty magic wand found in the cell that you find yourself in. Well, it's not too long before you start to progress and uncover the brilliance of Nobody Saves the World by transforming yourself into a rat. So by becoming smaller, you can fit through tight gaps and therefore reach new parts of the map. So the rat also has the ability to inflict dark damage onto opponents, which is another smart feature Drinkbox has implemented. So as well as the shape-shifting abilities, you also have elemental attacks. So you've got light or dark, sharp or blunt, meaning switching back and forth between characters at pace is the way to take on heavily guarded rooms. But that comes in time when you start out slow, learning to level up with your rat and escape your cell. So once you make it out of your short tutorial zone, then you quickly open up new forms, including the guard and the ranger. So the guard swings a sword to good effect, and the ranger has a bow and arrow for good ranged attacks. And each character has a different weapon and damage type, plus an attacking style. So for example, the rat is small, but his bite sting for sure, and the guard's sword attacks are great for dealing with crowds, and the ranger is great at a distance. It's not long before you open up more characters, including the bodybuilder, the egg, yes, that's right, an egg. You've got the dragon, the mermaid, and the lovable horse, who is susceptible to falling in love. So the horse is particularly entertaining as he moves fast and his attacks really pack a punch, so given it's a horse and he uses a back kick. Although you do find yourself having to move backwards into combat, which can be quite cumbersome, although also is quite funny. Nobody Saves the World is very focused on combat, and much like many of the other features in the game, this is very, very satisfying. So there's plenty of enemies and different types trying to get you, so you've got your smaller horde enemies who try to overwhelm you, so enemies attacking at range, and also wizard cats sending in scratching spells. You know, the combat is simple to pick up and understand, and many enemies can be beaten with standard weapon attacks, but some are protected by an element, meaning you have to hit them with the right element to open up the damage, otherwise they're going to be immune. This teaches the player to switch between forms quickly, so my natural instinct here was to stick with one player type, and I found myself gravitating towards the guard, but you quickly learn you need a variety of elements to progress, and you do have more fun learning about other characters and their different styles. Now, if I didn't have this motivation to switch things up, I probably wouldn't have tried out all the characters. So combos are an important factor in combat too, and that means you have to strike an enemy with an element a few times to build up an elemental meter, and then unleash a swift attack to maximum efficiency. Now the combat is pretty deep the further you go into the game, and all that just adds another layer of enjoyment. You know, Complementing the combat is a rewarding leveling up system, or systems that are working really well together. So as soon as you unlock a character, you have a quest, and that might be a fairly simple objective, like use bite to kill 10 enemies, for example if you're the rat, and on completing these quests, you get three more quests, also a reward that goes into your bank and it's used later to open up doors when you've got enough in your bank. So quests, they're nice and varied and plentiful, plus the progression is always on screen, giving you motivation and something to do. So given you've got multiple characters, then you'll have multiple branching quests too, making sure you're always going to be busy. You may have to run through a dungeon a couple of times to complete objectives, but given the combat and exploration is fun, it's not really a problem. Well, we've got quests that give us items to help us progress and unlock the road ahead, but each character also has a rating. So, so each character starts off as an F, and you go up like E, D, C, B, A, up to the S tier rating for each character. And also, when we first start out, we only have a single move, 
but that opens up as we play and we get more moves that can be assigned to three action buttons. So eventually you get the option to unlock and swap abilities between characters, meaning you can craft a good build with a single character or a set of characters that you like. So it is a really neat system. It looks simple on the surface to the player, but underneath it must be super, super complex. So congrats to the team at Dreambox for the onboarding process in the game and how they teach us to play. Because in the first few hours of the game, I didn't really feel overwhelmed, wasn't really confused, or how to control my party of players. And once you get it down, you're going to be switching up characters quickly, dishing out the various damage types and having tens of enemies at your mercy. So there are dungeons and castles in the game too, which are procedurally generated, meaning you're not going to get that same experience twice. So as well as the layout of the dungeons, the enemies are switched up as well, and that offers some nice variety and replayability. So dungeons are fun, although they can get quite tricky quite quickly, as you do tend to get overrun with enemies and mobbed in the early game, when you haven't got these skills or the abilities that you have later. So dungeons reminded me of Diablo or Lost Ark, so you enter an arena, you kill a bunch of enemies and move on to the next one and do the same again, and then you've got a big boss at the end. So you've got an occasional puzzle along the way, but the main focus is really on the combat. Between the dungeons, you've got a rich overworld filled with forests and towns, and a supporting cast of weird and wonderful characters. So you've got the horse to fall in love with, then you've got the slug who's lost his wife, and also the randy shop maiden who looks a little bit like a lizard, so she's quite scary. But it all has Drinkbox's personality written all over it. You've got the slick animation combined with the humour, and it only adds to the rich world that we inhabit. So nobody saves the world, it's been a big surprise to me. Yeah, it's really, really good, and it's so early on in 2022 as well. We shouldn't be surprised that Drinkbox comes out with a banger of a title that feels polished, plus could compete with the best of them in the action RPG genre. Drinkbox has proved once again that they understand progression mechanics and understand how to dish out the entertainment. You know, the game looks great, it's smooth, the combat is fun, and the progression is really, really exciting. Well, it's only available on PC and Xbox at the moment, but it's well worth seeking out, especially if you're a fan of top-down RPGs. So this one is an early gem of 2022, and it's definitely one I'd like to recommend. So it's developed and published by Drinkbox Studios. It's available for Xbox and PC, and I played it on PC Game Pass, and the release date was the 18th of January, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Nobody Saves the World, an absolutely fantastic game that you can sink loads and loads of hours in, and it's another great example of the talent at Drinkbox Studios. Well, that is it for now for Nobody Saves the World, but next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, holding steady, it's Grand Theft Auto V. And number 9 this week, down three places from last week's number 6, it's Ring Fit Adventure. And number 8 this week, up one place from last week's number 9, it's Just Dance 2022. And number 7 this week, it's Minecraft Dungeons. And number 6 this week, down one place from last week's number 5, it's Call of Duty Vanguard. And number 5 this week, down two places from last week's number 3, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. And number 4 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down three places from last week's number 4. And number 3 this week, up a whopping 26 places from last week's number 29, it's Super Mario Party. And number 2 this week, it's FIFA 22. And back in at number 1 from last week's number 4, it is, of course, Minecraft. Well, it still looks like Nintendo are dominating the charts. So we've got Ring Fit Adventure at number 9. We've got Animal Crossing New Horizons at 5. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at number 4. Super Mario Party at 3. It just goes to show that Nintendo really, really doing some unbelievable work. Well, talking about Nintendo, I decided to go back to one of my most beloved franchises this week. And seeing as we've got Breath of the Wild 2 on the horizon, I thought I'd go back and play through as many 
Legend of Zelda games as I possibly could before that new title comes out. So I went back to the beginning and I went back to where it all began with the original Legend of Zelda on the NES. And I must admit a couple of things. First of all, I haven't played through this one before. Even though I played through many, many Legend of Zelda titles, I never actually played through the original one. And I wasn't really expecting it to be this good in 2022. Well, next up, let's go to my classic replay of The Legend of Zelda. The Legend of Zelda originally released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1986, and this is where the story of Link, Zelda, the Triforce, Ganon, and Hyrule, where it all began. So the graphics and audio may look and sound a little bit dated these days, but what jumps out to me playing through this is how current the game feels. I can only imagine playing through this as a wide-eyed kid sitting in front of the television in 1986. The Legend of Zelda, or the Zelda series, is probably Nintendo's number two franchise, just behind Mario as the number one. Though it could be argued that Zelda is number one, because the new Zelda adventure sells consoles, plus multiple Zelda entries are often cited as the best game of all time, including the Ocarina of Time, Breath of the Wild, and A Link to the Past. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is a valid comparison to the original Legend of Zelda, given you're just dropped into the overworld with nothing but your wits, and you can roam around the open world freely. Now, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to get too far with just your wooden sword and shield, but it is theoretically possible, much like you can go straight to Hyrule Castle in Breath of the Wild. Well, The Legend of Zelda is a must-play for any Zelda fan, and it is really easy to play these days given it's featured on Nintendo Switch Online's NES library. So I do have a small admission, my love for the Zelda franchise started with Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Now, yes, that may be cited as one of the worst Zelda games, but for me, it's all about nostalgia. My dad bought it for me as a gift when I was a kid. When the NES first came out, we played through it together. And this playthrough of The Legend of Zelda is actually my first time playing through the original, and I'm sorry I waited so long, because the DNA of The Legend of Zelda, it's all here. So we start out dropped onto the map, you know, we've got nothing. Although it's not too difficult to find our first item, and it's an important one too, it's our very, very first sword. So from where you're dropped into the game, you walk into the cave, and the old man will give you that famous line, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. And he hands you your first wooden sword. So you can roam the environment, and it's quite easy to stumble upon the dungeons in the game. So you've got different environments, you've got classic environments, so you've got the beach, the desert, mountains, and waterfalls too. And the game doesn't take too many prisoners either. So you only start out with a few hearts, and in true 80s style, the game is very, very hard. Before you get stuck into the dungeons, I recommend finding a few items. That includes the shield, a few heart containers, and also the white sword, which is the first sword upgrade in the game. Now, ideally, you want to go into your first dungeon prepared, especially with plenty of hearts. So, for example, the sword upgrade is definitely going to make dealing with those enemies much, much easier too. You know, one of the most delightful things about the game is the secrets. So you use bombs to find secret doors. You know, they often result in rupees. And you burn down bushes to find secret staircases, which may lead to warp zones or the old man wanting to give the old woman a letter. You know, I understand The Legend of Zelda was created because Miyamoto used to go for walks in the forest in Japan, and he wanted to share the sense of wonder and discovery with the Nintendo players. Well, the now familiar classic Zelda model was born in this game, so you start out with barely anything, you build up your weapons and hearts over time, and you gather more powerful tools as you progress through the dungeons, collecting pieces of the Triforce as you go. Now, you could argue that this formula is perfected in The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past on the SNES, but it all started here. 
So it's also amazing how much Breath of the Wild DNA is here too, with the open world that you can explore, you can pretty much go anywhere. So in later iterations of the Zelda franchise, you are blocked off from these zones or you have to go and get items from dungeons, but here you can go a lot of places right off the bat. So we're also introduced to Lionel's 2, the terrifying half-man, half-beast creatures that hunted us in Breath of the Wild and were the stuff of nightmares. So they may not be as scary here, but they're definitely here, that is for sure. So the dungeons in The Legend of Zelda, they're not too tricky, perhaps, until you get to the later ones. You know, once you get into the Lizard and the Dragon dungeons, they are 5 and 6 respectively, then the difficulty really, really starts to ramp up. So dungeons themselves have the classic feel to them, where you've got to find the compass, the map, and also the dungeon item. So I must say, Death Mountain, the final dungeon, is absolutely fantastic, and is really, really quite tricky, especially if you're not leveled up. So all the classic items are here, including the boomerang, the bombs, the whistle. You've got the magic wand, and that allows you to shoot magic at enemies. There's some unique items too, including the step ladder. That allows you to cross one square on the screen, which is really useful for getting over small streams in the overworld, and very useful in dungeons for avoiding water or lava. So the boomerang item is interesting too, as when you first pick up the boomerang, then moments later, you upgrade it to the magical boomerang, and that can fly across the whole screen, but the original boomerang didn't really get too much time to shine, but you can see Nintendo here experimenting with new items. So the pacing for some of the things isn't quite right, but this is only the beginning and something they would go on to perfect in later iterations of the Zelda franchise. So there are unique parts to the dungeon as well, which is very similar to Zelda 2. So this unique view often accompanies finding the dungeon item, and the level semi-switches into a side-scroller type view of the screen. So this is something that Nintendo would fully embrace in Zelda 2 The Adventures of Link, although here in the original it is used very rarely. The main thing that jumps out to me from this game is the difficulty, so, so it's very much worth your time to run through and gathering items before you enter the first dungeon. So you're going to need the heart containers and the extra power of the sword upgrades, they're definitely going to help you out. So the overworld is full of danger, the enemies move quickly and in random patterns, that can get quite annoying. You know, you've got enemies bouncing up and down, coming out of the floor, and also poking their heads up out of the water and shooting you with projectiles. Then when you enter dungeons, you've got mummies and wizards and knights to take on, and the wizards can be a particular pain, so any extra help that you can get from items and upgrades and potions is a welcome assist. So I wasn't really sure if I was going to like going back to The Legend of Zelda. I've played countless Zelda iterations since, often on the day one release. I was lucky enough to experience Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time as they came out, and back then, we didn't know anything about the games. We didn't have the internet to spoil things. You know, we did have magazines or phone numbers we could call up to get help. But I don't think my parents would be too happy with that phone bill. So, so we didn't have our phones with internet back then. The only phone in the house within another room. And your parents paid the phone bill. So if we wanted tips or tricks, we could write into magazines. But that could mean waiting weeks for an answer. The only way forward was to play and figure it all out as we went. So for all the players going back to The Legend of Zelda today, the game is pretty unforgiving and not very good at directing players through the game. You know, without some guidance, it's going to be near impossible to find some of the secrets in this game. You know, some of that was addressed in later games. For example, there isn't really much of a hint here. You have to place a bomb on the wall to find a secret cave or location, and later Nintendo provides cracks on the walls as hints. You know, Here in The Legend of Zelda, there's numerous secret bushes to burn down, walls to blast, and you have to systematically go through all of them, one by one with items, which would be an absolutely painstaking exercise, or I could imagine you banging your head against a wall. So I 100% recommend going back and playing The Legend of Zelda for any fan 
of the series. So if you're interested in the Legend of Zelda franchise, then this is where it all began. You can see so much of the Zelda DNA here in the original. You know, not everything is done right, but you can forgive Nintendo for this being their first iteration of the formula. 35 years after the original release, it is still a magical journey, and I really can't wait to get stuck into the next adventure. Well, the game was developed by Nintendo, it was also published by Nintendo. It was originally released on the Nintendo Entertainment System back in 1986, although I played this on Nintendo Switch Online, and I recommend everyone else out there go and do the same. Well, that is it for my classic replay of The Legend of Zelda. So that was really, really fantastic, really, really good use of my time, and it's really whet my appetite for more Legend of Zelda this year. And as I say, I'm going to be playing through as many titles as I can in these series. So next up is Zelda 2 The Adventures of Link. We've got A Link to the Past to play through as well on the SNES emulator on Nintendo Switch Online. Ocarina of Time is there, and of course Majora's Mask is also coming out soon too. So I look forward to plenty more Legend of Zelda where that came from. And next up I've got another RPG, but this one is a JRPG. So over the Christmas period I was looking to play through a little bit of my backlog, and this one of course is Tales of Arise. So Tales of Arise it was a fantastic hit in 2021, I think one of the best-selling versions of the Tales series. So without further delay, let's go over to my review of Tales of Arise. Well, Tales of Arise is the latest in the series of the Tales franchise, and it's a great place to jump in if you've never played a Tales game before. So if you like anime, then you're going to love this, and even if you don't, there's enough great combat and interesting characters in here, plus a huge story in this action RPG from Bandai Namco. Tales of Arise may be one of the best looking games out there, you know, it's bright, it's colourful, and has some neat storytelling mechanics when it comes to the narrative. I'm not a huge fan of anime, I must admit, but I was drawn in by the story, it's a serious one too, you know, given it's a look at slavery in their society. So you've got the Danans, which have been ruled by the Renans for hundreds of years, and this is the story of these slaves rising up against their masters, seeking vengeance for the years of oppression. Well, the action takes place on the Danans planet, and that is very near to the technologically advanced Renan homeworld. So the Renans, they're obsessed with draining all the resources from the Danans planet, enslaving the Danan people as they go. And Tales of Arise does a pretty good job of analysing this relationship in the game, so it may sound like it's not for the faint of heart, but it is a decent story with plenty of twists, and turns, and it all keeps you engaged. Well, the Tales series is very large, so Tales of Arise is the 17th entry in the series, that makes it one of the longest-running franchises in all of gaming. I was never really compelled to get into the Tales games until now, so the thing that really caught my attention with Tales of Arise was the combat system, and this is a JRPG through and through, but the action, the combos, and the set pieces, they're all set against a grand scale, and it is a sight to behold. Plus, it is great fun to play, so even though Tales of Arise is the 17th entry as mentioned before, this is seen by many as a kind of reboot for the series. So the game wears its anime roots proudly on its sleeve, and if you like this kind of thing from other media like comics and movies, then you're instantly gonna love this one. So for me, it took a little bit of getting into, but the story is well presented, and at the centre of the story we've got our two main characters, so we've got Iron Mask and Shion. Well the premise is fun, Iron Mask doesn't remember who he is, and doesn't feel pain, whereas Shion on the other hand can't be touched due to her thorns, which causes anyone immense pain who touches her. Also, she's Renan, meaning inside her she has a core, which Iron Mask can extract and turn into a flaming sword for attacks. So they bicker like an old married couple, but I did really enjoy this relationship. 
So the game is absolutely huge, with well over 40 hours in the main story, or maybe closer to 60 or 70 hours if you want to do all these side quests and extra content. So in this package, you've essentially got two halves to the game. The first part is all about overthrowing your slave masters, and then setting up a society, and the second part is going off on an adventure in space with your party. Well, the first part of the story has a good pace to it. You go from region to region, taking care of bosses and slowly claiming back the realms. Unfortunately, the second part of the game is a little bit slower, and it kind of loses its way. Well, the character development in Tales of Rise is one of its best assets. So in the first part of the game, you're gathering a party in classic JRPG fashion, where you meet characters from different backgrounds and bring together a ragtag crew that can seemingly take on the world. Characters are given time to develop, you know, we get to know them really, really well, and that does make the second part of the game a little bit more disappointing, given it turns more to the action part of the action RPG label. Personally, I would have liked more of the character development in the back half of the game. So one of the main features in Tales of Arise is the combat system, and this is fantastic all throughout the game, making battles a delight to take part in. So when you first start out, you're Iron Mask, you've got a series of swords, you know, includes starting out with a rusty one, and eventually you'll have a flaming sword. So when you fight, you've got your companion with you, so you've got various attacks like light attacks, heavy attacks and combos, and you can also roll out the way and the maneuverability of your character is really, really good fun and really easy to get to grips with. So you've got special attacks that are linked to the D-pad, they are on a cooldown, and you and your party members can inflict major damage. So you've also got combo attacks where at a certain time during the battle, you can team up and unleash a powerful attack using all party members. So combat is big, it's brash, and it's also challenging. So enemies do have set movement patterns, and much of the challenge in Tales of Arise is learning these patterns and predicting what enemies are going to do so you can attack at the right time. So if you dodge out of the way at the last minute, you'll have the opportunity to rush in and get in a swift attack, dealing a little more damage. So all this, plus huge combos, make the combat system feel really dynamic, and it's one of the best action I've seen in a video game for years. So some great examples over the last few years, including God of War and Jedi Fallen Order, and this one definitely lives up there with both of those. So the main drawback I find, and it's common across most RPGs, is the leveling system. So I didn't really feel very directed when it comes to leveling up in Tales of Arise, and when I reached a certain boss, I got instantly killed, and I had to go back and level up for a few more hours before I could go back to the boss, and meaningfully take them on. So as a gamer, I'd like to be leveling up on my journey to the boss, not get there and hit a brick wall, and then get frustrated by my lack of DPS. You know, it's a minor gripe, but it was noticeable. So Tales of Arise is a great package. It's easy to see why this was in the conversation for Game of the Year 2021. The storytelling is good, the characters have time to grow and breathe, and the combat is exciting, plus it's pretty tough at times. It is very accessible too, being released on pretty much all the major platforms, so I would check out some of the footage in the game, and if you like action RPGs, I would recommend giving Tales of Arise a go. So the game was developed and published by Bandai Namco, it's available for the PS5, PS4, PC, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and I reviewed this one on the PS5. It was originally released on the 10th of September, 2021. Well that is it for my review of Tales of Arise, fantastic JRPG, and a really nice way to kick off the year playing one of my backlog games, but next up, Let's have a look at another one, and this one is Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Well, Shovel Knight is back, but this time it's different as we're falling in a block puzzle world, similar to others like Columns and Tetris, and Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon is the latest entry from Yacht Club Games, 
and this one is a little different, but it's entertaining as always. So you're probably familiar with other puzzle games similar to this one, you know, a bunch of items, they're falling from the top of the screen, and normally you'd expect a uniform set of blocks, but in this world of Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon, you've got monsters to contend with, and in a unique twist, you are inside the grid. So you have to think very quickly here, because if you don't, you're going to get blocked in, and you're going to have that familiar feeling of pieces piling up and losing the game. Well, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon is great fun, but it does take a few games to get into the swing of things, but once you're in, it is really, really good and addicting. Now, I played the game on PC, however, during my playtime, I was constantly thinking that this would be great on either Nintendo Switch or on the upcoming Steam Deck platform. Shovel Knight has been the star of many platform games over the years, but the transition to puzzle game is pretty seamless, so it's easy to pick up, it's colourful and it grabs your attention, it's really, really good fun, albeit hard to master. So you've got the basic ingredients of a great game, and Pocket Dungeon has them all. Now, given you're stuck in the puzzle itself, you've got to run and jump to smash up pieces. It's down to you to remove the falling enemies and the monsters, so block puzzle logic comes into play too. So if you've got a bunch of enemies together, you can kill one of them, they will all die at the same time. So much like getting lines in Tetris, you'd have to be a little bit tactical when it comes to slaying enemies in Pocket Dungeon. So you and your enemies have health meters, and you've got to drain your enemies to ultimately rid the board of blocks. That's all really, really clever and a good mix of genres. So as you progress through the game and levels, you get new enemies to fight. There's a good variety in how the enemies attack. You know, some are smaller and straightforward, whereas some explode and some warp in and out of play. It's in your interest to kill as many enemies as possible because an endless stream of new ones are coming down from above. So you've got useful items hidden on the board too, including health potions, so you've got to keep an eye on your energy meter and reach the health potions as soon as you can. So the objective of the game is fairly straightforward. The more enemies you kill, the more loot chests are going to fall from above, and we need three keys to ultimately escape the grid and move on to the next level. And new levels mean more enemies and eventually bosses as well. Relics are thrown into the mix which provide buffs and modifiers. As you progress through the levels, the game gets bigger, it's harder and even more extreme. So you've got freeze mechanics to slow things down, and abilities and powers that you may become familiar with in Shovel Knight all make an appearance here as well. So as well as the game getting harder as you progress, you also unlock more characters. So we shot out with the classic Shovel Knight, but we unlock Plague Knight and also Spectre Knight too. So Plague Knight poisons enemies on first hit, and Spectre Knight manages to wreak havoc onto the game by gaining health when you beat enemies. However, you have to be careful with some of the learned behaviours, because potions harm Spectre Knight, which was a bit of a surprise when it first happened. And the new characters are all really, really welcome and mix up the gameplay really, really well. Shuffle Knight Pocket Dungeon is a really fun puzzler and something you can dip into and out of really easily and fast. There's enough variation in there to hook you, and I found myself filling little gaps in my day with a quick game. So I'd love to have this one on a handheld platform for this very reason. It's really easy to pick up and play, but damn, it's a challenge once you get into it. So if you're a fan of Shuffle Knight, it's well worth checking this one out. Well, the developers were Yacht Club Games and Vine, and it was published by Yacht Club Games, so it's available for Nintendo Switch. PlayStation 4, PC, and Mac, and it was released on the 13th of December, 2021. I do have to thank Yacht Club Games for providing a review copy of this game, so thank you very much to the team and the studio. It really, really is fantastic, and really, really appreciate you reaching out. Well, that is it for my review of Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Really fantastic little puzzler. Definitely recommend you checking that one out. Really, really good stuff. But next up, let's look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks.
Well, first up, looking at the 25th of January, we've got El Hijo, a Wild West tale. That's iOS and Android. And we've got the Artful Escape. That's coming to PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch. Next up on the 27th of January, we've got Circuit Superstars. That's coming out on the PlayStation 4. And we've got Demon X Machina. That one is coming to PC. Then on the 28th, I think we've got the first big blockbuster of the year. It's Pokemon Legends Arceus. And that one is coming to Nintendo Switch. We've also got the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection coming to PlayStation 5 and PC. On February the 1st, we've got Life is Strange Remastered collection coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S Next, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC. Then on February the 2nd, we've got The Waylanders coming to PC. And on the 3rd, we've got Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishment. That's coming to Switch. Then on February the 4th, another big one, we've got Dying Light 2 Stay Human. That's coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S Next. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and also the PC2. So out of that list, definitely looking forward to Pokemon Legends Arceus, and I will be bringing you my review of that one next up on the podcast. Really looking forward to that. Hopefully it's going to be a really good Pokemon entry. Wasn't really too keen on Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, even though that was a remake. Now, Pokemon Sword and Shield was okay. Didn't really push the franchise forward. Really, really hoping that Pokemon Legends Arceus pushes the franchise forward, so it's definitely overdue. Well, that is all for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames, or check out the latest on the website. You know, send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, thank you so much for watching or listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube, and share with a friend. Or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise... Check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.